Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff, and today you learn about how praising a competitor can lead to greater sales for brands. Then we'll answer a couple of listener questions about our universe and the physics that govern it with help from the hosts of the hit podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe. And we'll wrap up with a little rock, paper, scissors. Today is my last episode, and I am going to go out with a big bang. So, let's satisfy some curiosity. Social media is weird. Just take the way that brands have created quirky online personas that joke, roast, and meme, just like we do. This strategy can often earn them fans and criticism in equal measure. But as funny as it is to see two brands in an online flame war, new research published in the Journal of Marketing shows that we all just want them to get along. It turns out that brands who complement competitors online get more sales. It might sound unbelievable, but competitor compliments do happen. Researchers from UW-Milwaukee and Duke University opened their study on this with the story of a 2017 Twitter exchange between gaming giants. The day that Nintendo launched the Switch, Xbox and PlayStation tweeted their congratulations. Researchers found that the applause earned those accounts more than 10 times as many likes and retweets as their usual content. Replies to their congratulatory tweets were overwhelmingly positive, too. And let me tell you, gaming Twitter, not known for being positive. (laughs) But aside from this story, there aren't a ton of examples of brands playing nice. So for this study, the researchers got creative. They mocked up some fake tweets by the candy bar Kit Kat and showed them to 1,500 participants. Half of them saw a tweet congratulating their competitor Twix with a message that said, Competitor or not, congrats on your 54 years in business. Even we can admit, Twix are delicious. The other half of participants saw a tweet where KitKat just talked about its own products. The tweet simply said, Start your day off with a tasty treat. That's my Twitter voice. Hope you like it. The team checked in on participants' purchases 11 days later. And those who had seen KitKat's congratulatory tweet went out and bought the candy bar a third more frequently than those who had seen the self-promotional tweet. But even though the tweet mentioned and even celebrated their competitor, Twix sales didn't increase. The scientist's explanation is that seeing a brand be kind to its competitor makes us feel more fondly about them. Just like when we see a person being kind to others, The brand's actions make them seem warmer and more trustworthy. But also, just like with people, it has to seem like the brand really means it. Praising a rival had no benefit if consumers felt it was disingenuous. The same went for flattering a random, unrelated brand. Brands have met plenty of skepticism for acting like people online. But scientists were surprised to discover that people who were most suspicious of brands responded most positively to this social media sweetness. This study shows that a little friendly competition can go a pretty long way. Or should I say, can go a pretty long way. We received a couple physics-related listener questions, 
So my longtime co-host Ashley Hamer and I got in touch with a couple pretty cool people to answer them. Physicist Daniel Whiteson and cartoonist Jorge Cham are the hosts of the super popular science podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, which, according to my Spotify dashboard, is a show that a lot of Curiosity Daily listeners are already familiar with. And Daniel and Jorge were kind enough to help us explain the universe, or at least the answers to a couple questions about stuff in our universe. The first question comes from Peter, who asks, How is it that we're all made of stardust billions of years after the stars have exploded? Slight correction here that the Carl Sagan quote he's referring to says that we are all made of star stuff, not stardust, but you get the point. Either way, here's Jorge on how it's possible that that's what we're made of. Great question. So that's a famous expression from Carl Sagan, I think, right? Who said we're all made out of stardust because most of the universe is made out of, uh, and the universe started out with hydrogen, very, very basic elements. And then it's only through like the fusion that goes inside of stars that we get the more complex elements like, uh, you know, carbon and oxygen and the things that we're made out of. So people say that we're made out of stardust because uh, the stuff that we're made out of our atoms were probably most likely made inside of a star and, and even more likely um, made when that star exploded when like the star died, that's when a lot of these heavier elements get made. But these things don't happen that often, right? And Daniel, the, I probably, we don't even know where our stardust came from. Our stardust probably came from lots of different stars. And I think that maybe the conceptual piece that uh, that, that listener also needs is that we are on the, the third generation of stars in the universe. Like our sun has only existed for about 5 billion years. So there was like 10 billion years almost before our sun even existed. And it's able to like gather up the remnants of previous generations of stars that burned and burned and burned for millions and billions of years, then died. And so we're like the, we're like the great, great grandkids of some of those early stars. And so those elements just lasted that long, you think? They will last forever because they are stable. Like you have a bit of iron floating in space, it will float there forever doing nothing until you, you know, use it to make a, a kid's toy or, uh, or whatever in the deep in the future. Or, or the red blood cells in your blood, right? I mean, those, those things floating around in your body were made inside of the, the heart of a star. That's awesome. Talk about an answer that's out of this world. The second listener question comes from Lohith, who said he was curious about how spacecraft move around in space, and he came across a term known as gravity assist. He said he didn't understand the concept clearly, and he was hoping we could help. And help we will. So here's Daniel. Yeah, gravity assist is a really clever way to change the direction of a spacecraft without firing your thrusters. Right. The really expensive thing in, th in space is using your fuel because the more fuel you have to use, the more fuel you have to bring along with you to push all that fuel. So they really try to minimize how much fuel they spend. And so what you can do is use the gravity of a major planet to change your direction. So for example, you can swing around Jupiter and come out going another direction, or you can swing around the sun even and it gets spun out another way and not just change your direction. You can sometimes even gain a little bit of speed. And what you're doing there is you're stealing energy from the planet. So for example, if a probe goes by Jupiter and swings around and goes the other way because of its gravity, it slows Jupiter down the tiniest little bit. So there's, you know, a limited number of times we can do that before Jupiter crashes into the sun. But we got lots of, we got lots of, um, boxes left to check on that one. 
Yeah, maybe one way to think about it is you you sort of use you fall into one of these planets, and then you use that energy you gain from falling, you sort to turn it around, and then that gives you kind of kind of a boost to to get to where you're、mm-hmm. going. Sort of like how a pendulum, right? It falls, and then at the bottom, it's going really fast, and then it comes back around the other side.、Uh, in this case, you can come out a different direction than you came in, and sometimes even pick up a little bit of speed. Very Buzz Lightyear, falling with style. Yeah, I've seen them do that on Star Trek. I know that's a thing. So Star Trek is a documentary, by the way. So yeah, it's a good source. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. It's a future documentary. It's a documentary from the future. I hope that gives you a better understanding of what a gravity assist is. Although, if you are a fan of Star Trek, then you might know the term as gravitational slingshot, as seen in the Next Generation episode "Booby Trap" from season three. Again, that was Daniel and Jorge from the hit podcast. Daniel and Jorge explain the universe, and they have a new book called "Frequently Asked Questions About the Universe," which you can pick up in today's show notes. Have you ever played rock paper scissors? I'm guessing you have. Pretty much wherever you live in the world, maybe you called it rock scissors paper, or maybe there was some other slight variation. But it's a pretty universal game, right? Well, that's what I thought too, and that is why I wrote a story about it. Back in 2017, when I applied for a job at Curiosity, I thought that it would be a beautifully poetic way to end my run on the Curiosity Daily podcast by having the very last story I do be the very first story I ever wrote for Curiosity. Unfortunately, that story. Isn't really usable in its current form. Look, I'm a good writer. I wrote the most viewed story on Curiosity.com in 2017. It was about autodidacts and people who have taught themselves skills at a very high level. But this particular story about rock paper scissors just had too many minor issues, like world records for the biggest tournament that have since been changed, and certain societies and organizations that run rock paper scissors tournaments that are now dormant. However, I still do want to bring you an excerpt from that story that is a fun little tidbit from history, does stand the test of time. I have fact checked it several times rigorously. And it's just a fun little thing that is, again, both self-indulgent but also beautifully poetic, if I do say so myself, which I do. So I want to preface this by saying that the game Rock Paper Scissors has roots that may date at least as far back as the time of the Chinese Han Dynasty, which was 206 BC to 220 AD. So it's like a couple thousand years old, which makes it one of the oldest games used for making decisions in human existence. And there have been many organizations that have popped up over the years. The World Rock Paper Scissors Society, among others, that have held tournaments and let you become a member and done all sorts of fun stuff. But I want to zero in on one from the 1800s that I thought warranted a full story when I started at Curiosity five years ago. So, without further ado, if I may, <clears throat> in London, England, the Paper Scissors Stone Club. Was actually founded because of the issuance of an 1842 law. The law declared, "quote Any decision reached by the use of the process known as paper scissors stone between two gentlemen acting in good faith shall constitute a binding contract. Agreements reached in this manner are subject to all relevant contract and tort law." Unquote. 
Yes, that's right. British law codified acceptable uses for mid-19th century iterations of rock, paper, scissors. And according to the founders of the Paper, Scissors, Stone Club, this law was seen as, quote, a slap in the face to the growing number of enthusiasts who played it strictly as a recreational activity, since for many constables, it was taken to mean that the game could not be played simply for sport. The club was founded and officially registered to provide an environment free from the long arm of the law, where enthusiasts could come together and play for honor, unquote. And there you have it, the meatiest part of my 2017 article that is now helping me come full circle as I depart from this storied podcast, this multi-award-winning podcast, and a podcast that now can say featured a story, or at least part of a story, about rock, paper, scissors. And since it's a game, you want to play around? All right, let's do it. I'm going to count to three, and you're going to shoot on three. So it's one, two, shoot, okay? So after you've shot on three, I will, on the fourth beat, say what I threw. See if you can beat me. And then let me know. Tweet at me, email me, whatever. Just let me know. I'm curious. So let's do this. Rock, paper, scissors. One, two, three. Paper. Did you throw scissors and cut me? Or did you throw rock and I covered you? Or did you throw paper and we need a rematch? Either way, we just participated in a 2,000-year-old tradition. History is cool, right? Before I recap what we learned today, I just want to let you know that you can get in touch with me anytime. You can find me on Twitter at Producer Cody. I'm on HiHo at Cody. Or you can email me directly at Cody at AcademicPodcasts.com. I want you to stay in touch. Give me your thoughts on the last couple months of shows. You know, whatever. And if I'm working on any new projects and you're at all interested in seeing what I'm up to, just ask and I'll send you an email and let you know where to go. I know that if you're listening to this, there's a chance you have spent a lot of time with me over the years. And if you'd like to spend more of that, I'm always happy to do so. So now let's recap what we learned today, starting with the fact that brands that complement their competitors online may actually get more sales. When Xbox and PlayStation congratulated Nintendo on Twitter the day it launched the Switch, those tweets got more than 10 times as many likes and retweets as their usual content. I actually remember when they did that. And I don't even think I follow either brand on Twitter, but I remember seeing it and I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. But on top of my personal feelings, an experiment found that people were more likely to go out and buy a product a brand was selling if that brand complemented its competitor. But they weren't any more likely to buy from the competitor. So what do you have to lose? If you're a brand and you're listening, then congratulations. A brand is an abstraction, and I'm not exactly sure how you're able to listen to this podcast without a corporeal form. But if you're a representative of a brand and you're listening, you know, keep that in mind. It's going to be a hard sell to management, I know. These things always are, but worth a shot anyway. What do you have to lose, really? And I thought today was a very appropriate time to run this story, because after today, since I'll no longer be working on Curiosity Daily, that means that I'm going to be a competitor. Dun, dun, dun. Which means that if I compliment myself a bunch, it actually helps the show. Ha ha! It's a paradox. I can compliment myself as much as I want and nobody can do anything about it because it will actually help this show. Look at that. I am into strategery. 
And since so many people have been asking, Cody, what are you going to do after this? Where can I find you? Actually, they've mostly been asking Ashley that, but I got a couple questions too. Well, you can find Ashley on her podcast, Taboo Science, and you can see me in a video interview series I'm doing. I just talk to interesting people who I find interesting. They're not all science. They're from all different walks of life, but that's going to be hosted on Giveo at Giveo.com, G-I-V-E-O. You can find a link in the show notes and then just search for my name and I hopefully will pop up. But I'm going to say right now, my new series is awesome. And so is Ashley's podcast. And like I said before, all you're going to take away from this is how much better Curiosity Daily is. It's psychology. So weird. But here we are. And I hope to see you in the comments and review section or whatever of the next projects that both of us work on. But either way, we also learned a bunch of really cool stuff from Daniel and Jorge from Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, which, by the way, is a fantastic podcast that is not this one, though paradoxically, your takeaway from me saying that will be that this show is better. I know. I really can't get enough of this. <laughs> anyway, they helped us learn that we're all made of star stuff because our atoms were probably most likely made inside of a star when it exploded or more likely from a lot of different stars. We're actually on the third generation of stars, by the way. Fun fact. Elements like iron that come from those stars are stable elements, meaning they'll basically hang out forever until you do something with them, like make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or mushroom bites. Mushroom bites? Yeah. Mushroom bites? Mushroom bites. And we also learned that gravity assist refers to when a spacecraft uses the gravity from a planet or another object like a star to change direction. You could basically swing around a planet to essentially steal energy from that planet and even gain acceleration. Now, that extra speed that you get boosted is reduced from the thing you're swinging around. So like if you get a speed boost from Jupiter, you're technically also slowing Jupiter down. But Jupiter's a lot bigger, so I wouldn't worry about slowing it down too much anytime soon. And we also learned that rock, paper, scissors is a really old game, like a couple thousand years old. And in 1842, British law made it possible for the game to serve as a binding contract between two people. I haven't looked into the official strategies of rock, paper, scissors, but here's my thinking on the strategy. If your hand is in a fist when you're doing the one, two, three part, then it takes the least amount of effort to keep your hand in a fist and throw rock. It takes the second least amount of effort to keep your hand in a fist and flip out two fingers to throw scissors. It takes by far the most effort to change the entire position of your hand and throw paper. So for me personally, if I had like a screen between me and the other person, I couldn't make eye contact with them, look at their hand at all, know what they're doing. I'm going to throw paper. Because chances are, in my mind, they're throwing rock. Of course, there's a 50-50 chance they're not throwing rock, so it's not a foolproof strategy. But the other thing you can do, if you want to be a little bit nefarious about it, is if you watch their hand closely, you can see them start to move their fingers faster when they throw paper. So that gives you the opportunity to throw scissors, which a lot of people throw late anyway. You throw it, you see the other person, then suddenly two fingers shoot out. And then it's like, wait a second. Those weren't there. What? You can't. That's no, no. Don't cheat at rock, paper, scissors. I'm just saying. But my reasoning is that I'll throw paper. Now, if you ever meet me in person and we play, am I going to throw paper like I just said I'm going to do? 
Or am I going to throw rock knowing that you might throw scissors to counter my paper? See, and people say there's no strategy to this game. I'm telling you, it, it gets meta. It gets meta. It gets competitive. It's a lot to think about. I have played a lot of rock, paper, scissors in my day. So believe me, I know what I'm talking about. But anyway, here we are. Today is my last episode of Curiosity Daily. And you know how big of a deal this has been for me. I also know that at this point, you're wondering what Curiosity Daily is going to be like after this episode, who's going to host it, what's it going to sound like. And like Ashley said before, thanks to a linear progression of time and space, we don't know. Because that's in the future. And according to science, at least science right now, we can't predict the future. But if you already follow Curiosity Daily, then you won't have to change anything to have your curiosity about the future satisfied. You'll automatically get new episodes. And when you get those new episodes, you'll be hearing the same thing a bunch of whales listen to when they go on a long journey together. Podcasts. What, you didn't think I was going to leave you one more pun for the road? Come on. The writer for today's story about praising competitors was Steffi Drucker. The Curiosity Podcast and Curiosity Daily were originally created by me, Cody Goff. Curiosity Daily is distributed by Discovery. I hope you learned something, and I hope you had fun. Thank you for listening, and stay curious.